Joey and I both had the opportunity yesterday to travel to Marietta, Oklahoma, and to take part in the first annual, the inaugural uh, Texoma Truth Series uh, with the brethren at Marietta. Chase Green is the minister there, and he and I were in school together uh, during our two years there. And during our last year, he and I preached at the same congregation, and so he and I spent a uh, a lot of time together in the car and uh, traveling back and forth and just spending a lot of time in study together. I count him to be a very dear friend of mine, but he offered the invitation to both Joey and myself and to several other speakers over the weekend and through the course of this week to come and take part of this good event. Um, and I say all that to say this, Joey and I decided to share both of our lessons uh, with you today. The theme was that of the heart, matters of the heart. Um, and I appreciate Jay so very much for his song selection. Uh, I don't know if you saw a theme between the songs uh, that, he, uh, that he decided to lead, all dealing with that of the heart. And my specific topic uh, yesterday and, of course, this morning is that of keeping your heart with all diligence. Keeping your heart with all diligence. It was a Proverbs writer in Proverbs chapter 4, beginning of verse 23, where he said, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring forth the issues of life. It is a verse that is known by so many, and yet it is a verse that is practiced by so few. When I think about Solomon being the author of this particular verse, certainly Solomon knew this from great experiences in his life. When I think about Solomon, though certainly reared with godly influences in his life, speaking specifically of his father David, someone who we know to be a man after God's own heart, and yet despite all of that, Solomon still made his fair share of bad decisions. He certainly did a lot of things in life that were not commended of him. You read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it lays a lot of that out for us there. We talk about Solomon and we know that he engaged in uh, marital relations that he was not supposed to, that being with the pagan and foreign women who were around him in their land. And in turn, they led his heart away from the one true God and he focused on their pagan and foreign gods. He was a harsh king. He raised taxes. He enforced difficult labor. He had alliances with all of the foreign nations that were around him. You think about him as a father. Solomon failed as a father when it came to Rehoboam, his son, and him being who he was supposed to be as someone who was faithful to God. Solomon was someone who knew about the issues of life. Solomon knew about the difficulties that came with life, the problems that happened because of life. Why? Because Solomon was someone who did not at all times guard his heart. He was not someone who at all times kept his heart with all diligence, and he knew firsthand the problems that arise because of that. When we talk about the heart, it is one that should, it is a topic that should be done, a discussion that should happen with great Caution. It should be one that should be taken extremely seriously because when we talk about the heart, we understand that it is from the heart that our, that our emotions come. We understand that it is from the heart that brings about our thoughts and our opinions, the way that we view and the way that we see things. It is the heart that brings about the respect and the awe and the reverence that we should have for Almighty God. But we also understand that it is the heart that can be so easily seduced. It is the heart that can be so easily swayed away from where the heart should be in terms of a relationship with God. Just two areas of observation this morning with several points underneath each of them. Number one is this. I want to talk about why. Why should you and I keep our heart 
with all diligence. And then in the second place, we'll talk about how. We'll make this practical and maybe make some points of application for us. Number one is this, why? Why keep my heart with all diligence? I want to look at this as we begin this morning, as we talk about keeping our heart. I want to look at it from a defensive point of view. And I say that because of this. You and I have to understand the very risks that are involved when it comes to trying to guard our heart from all of the things that this world throws at it. I think back to Solomon, the mistakes that he made simply because he didn't guard his heart. And then I think about us today. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 talks about our enemy, the devil, who was always on the prowler. We're going to talk about him here in just a few moments. But I think about him always trying to use the world to seduce us and to get us to fall to our knees in submission to him and to the world. And brothers and sisters, we will do that if we don't properly guard our hearts. If we don't play defense, if we're not active in guarding our hearts, then surely we will fall prey to him. Here's number one. Why? Because if I don't, my heart will become consumed with myself. If I don't guard my heart, then my heart will so very quickly become consumed with myself. You see, when we talk about the heart, it's a fickle thing, isn't it? Because more often than not, for you and I as New Testament Christians, our hearts are right exactly where they need to be. We talk about our hearts as New Testament Christians. Sometimes, more often than not, our heart is right where it should be loyalty-wise, emotionally-wise, spiritually speaking. More often than not, our hearts are exactly where they need to be. And yet, at the snap of a finger, our heart can change just like that, can't it? At the snap of a finger, our heart can go in a completely different direction if we are not guarding it correctly. When I think about the idea of being consumed with self, I can't help but immediately think, about a group who was very prominent in Jesus' day, that being the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, being known for being extremely strict to the Jewish law and their interpretation of it. We talk about the Pharisees. We know that at least what they professed to other people is that they were all about holiness. They were all about godliness. They were all about righteousness, but only as it came to the way that people saw them and their perception of them. They may have cared about the law, maybe a little bit, but what they really only cared about was enforcing it upon others. They really only cared about making sure that everybody else was doing what they were supposed to be doing, and as it pertained to their lives, they could live them however it is that they wanted. That's why they were always at odds with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was in complete opposition of everything that the Pharisees stood for. And yet despite that, they were still consumed and obsessed with themselves. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 5. Jesus said, but all their works they do be, they do to be seen by who? By men. They make their phylacteries broad and they enlarge the borders of their garments. All they wanted was to be seen and to be noticed by men. All they wanted was to be greeted and to be praised by men. You continue reading there in verse 6 and verse 7. They wanted to be looked at by others. They wanted to be held up by others and for people to see how high and how holy they perceive themselves to be. You continue, you go back at a couple of chapters in Matthew chapter 15. You read there in verse 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Jesus recalling back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 29, these individuals who were lacking when it came to guarding their hearts. And because of that, they were being consumed. They were being overtaken with themselves. And as a result, everything that they did was vain. It was worthless. It was empty. It was pointless. There was no value in what they did. Brothers and sisters, do we not live in a society 
that is obsessed with self? Do we not live in a culture that cannot think about anything else but me, myself, and I? Do we not live in a world where we are daily influenced to be only thinking about you? How can I make my life better? What can I do to put myself in a better position than everybody else around me? What can I do to put myself up higher so people can see me? And to a point, I suppose some of that's okay, isn't it? You and I certainly need to plan for the future. We need to try to make ourselves as successful in this life in certain areas, but not, brothers and sisters, at the detriment of our own hearts and not giving myself the opportunity to become consumed with myself. You see, if I'm not guarding my heart, I can easily fall into this trap. I can so easily, so quickly become obsessed with myself. When I'm consumed with myself, the consequences are detrimental. It's destructive to your family relationships. You think about yourself as a spouse, yourself as a parent, yourself as a brother or a sister or a child. Relationships that are strained, relationships that in many cases are broken because one party was only focused on who? On themselves. It's destructive to your friends. No one wants to be in a friendship with someone who is only focused, only always talking, only consumed with everything about them. It's destructive to the Lord's church. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul is pleading for unity among the body of Christ, the complete opposite of being consumed with self. It is disorderly. It is destructive to be focused on self, and that is a byproduct of not guarding my heart. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 2, let nothing, nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for who? For the interest of others. Paul said, put away your desire for personal gain. Paul said, put away the pride that you have for yourself. Put away your high opinions of yourself. And in turn, look to others and see what you can do for them. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, a verse we know so well. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So many lessons, but think about this just for the time and purpose of this particular lesson. Paul talking about his old life. Paul talking about how he had crucified, put away, he had, he had buried his old life. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. And how everything that he did now, he did it to magnify who? Himself? No. Jesus Christ. To glory, to honor, to praise the one who had died for him and who had given him an opportunity to have salvation. It wasn't for self. It wasn't about him. It wasn't easiest. It wasn't best for him. But it was solely fixated upon the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Friends, this is what happens when you guard your heart. Rather, when you don't guard your heart, you allow yourself to be consumed with living for yourself. Here's the second thing. Why guard our hearts? Why keep our hearts with all diligence? Number two, because if you don't, your heart will be given over to misplaced priorities. If you don't, your heart will be given over to misplaced priorities. When, when we think about the Apostle Paul, and I think about, about all of his work within the pages of the New Testament, so many good things that the Apostle Paul accomplished himself because of his desire to work for Jesus Christ. But when I think about Paul, we cannot help but notice all of the people that had such a great influence for him and for his ministry. Think about individuals, names like Barnabas. Think about Silas. Think about Timothy, Titus, Aquila, Priscilla, uh, Phoebe, Epaphroditus, so on and so forth. All of these people who helped the Apostle Paul during his ministry. 
But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, we read about another individual. Somebody who at one time was helping Paul. Somebody who at one time was trying to do all that they could to help advance the cause of Jesus Christ. But notice that it doesn't last. Pick up in verse 10, or rather in verse 9. Paul says, be diligent to come to, a quick, to, come to me quickly. Verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me. Why? Why has Demas forsaken you? Why has Demas gone on to something else? Because he loved this present world. You see, Demas lost sight on what his true purpose and goal, what his mission was in this life. He let down the guard of his heart. He gave way to misplaced priorities, that being the world around him. He became just like what Luke chapter 8 talked about, being the thorny soil, and he allowed himself to become choked out by the riches and cares of this world. He did exactly what John said not to do. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, that being loving the world. Again, think about Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Think about Paul's, Paul's position in life, his commitment to Christ. And I know this is my soapbox, and I get on it all the time, and I won't stay on it very long this morning. But when I talk about the idea of commitment, I understand we get so wrapped up in this world. I understand we have so many commitments to everything in this life, to our work, to our school, to our sports, to our job, whatever it might be. But brothers and sisters, why, oh why, oh why does our commitment to Christ fall at the bottom of the totem pole? Why do we constantly put everything else above Jesus Christ? When you think about the idea of coming to worship, Gage Coldwater talked about this yesterday in his, in his life. He did a fantastic job talking about unity. But he made the point about coming to worship services. And he talked about how when it comes to worship services, brothers and sisters, it ought to be a joy for us to be able to step foot into this building and to worship our God and Father in heaven. He said too many people are like Eeyore. And they say, oh, I guess I got to go to worship again. They say, oh, I guess I got to get up early. They say, oh, man, I can't go out and party Saturday night. It's the last day I have before the night before work. I got to go to worship. Brothers and sisters, when our commitment is where it needs to be, living the life of a Christian becomes a joy for us, does it not? Your commitment for living for him did it just go to the wayside? No thoughts, no care. When did our commitment become so non-important that we began to replace worship with recreation? Outdated, unpopular, yeah, maybe so. But when did that ever make it wrong? When did that ever make it not what we were supposed to do? Misplaced priorities are a result of a heart that is not guarded. And our families all across the world, brothers and sisters, are suffering because of this. We are living amidst a generation like we talked about last week, or I don't know when it was, a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about Josiah. And how it said Chronicles chapter 34, they had, they had lost the book of the law, and that had to be found two generations. What happened without someone studying the law? And look what happened. People were going completely away from Almighty God. Parents, adults, Christians, don't be a part of the problem. When it comes to priorities, number three, why guard my heart? Because ultimately, if I don't, my heart will be given over to the enemy. One thing that you and I have to understand as we live the life of a Christian is that you and I are never, ever, ever able to let down our guard. We've briefly mentioned already 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 where Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Why? 
Because your adversary, the devil, walks about his roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If there's one thing that the enemy wants from you, brother or sister, it is that he wants you as a Christian to let down your guard. He wants you to become lethargic. He wants you to become methodical. He wants you to become apathetic and to become superficial in your faith as a Christian. He wants you as a Christian not to worry about him. He wants you to think that he doesn't know your name. He wants you to think that you're not important to him and that there's an entire world out there for him to go after. He doesn't want you to be assuming of him. And brothers and sisters, when you do these things, you open up your heart and you allow yourself to easily be swayed by him. You see, if you and I are going to guard our hearts, we have to remember that we are in a constant fight. We are in a constant battle against our enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul implored the Ephesian brethren to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. The New American Standard and the English Standard both say the schemes of the devil, the tricks, the games, the deceit of the enemy. James chapter 4 and verse 7, therefore submit to God and then do what with the devil? Let your guard down, allow him to come into your life, think that he doesn't know about you. No, he says resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The exact same thing that Peter said as he continued his thought in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. We're standing, opposing, standing firm against, I'm not willing to back down or to give in. Brothers and sisters, that's what it looks like to guard your heart against the enemy. But you know, inasmuch as this is a command on what to do when the devil comes after your heart, brothers and sisters, it is also an assurance that he will come after your heart. You're not exempt from the schemes of the devil. You're not exempt from the temptations that he's going to throw your way. And that's the danger of this whole thing. The enemy wants you to believe that he's not coming after you. But what did Paul tell the Corinthian brethren? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us. Why? For we are not ignorant of his devices. That's the whole idea right here. That the idea of not being ignorant, of not being uninformed or illiterate of our enemy and what he is willing and able to do, of what he's capable of doing. You know, in the same way that the enemy doesn't want you to worry about him, he also wants you to not worry about you. He doesn't want you to worry about yourself because he wants you to think about yourself that you are perfectly fine just the way that you are. He wants you to think that where you are as a Christian, you don't need to grow, you don't need to improve, you don't need to look in your life and continually make yourself better. He says, be like the Laodiceans in Luke chapter th- or Revelation chapter 3, where they self-analyze themselves, lie to yourself about your spiritual state. You need help? No, you don't. You just need to give in to what the world has to offer you. Live like the world. Eat, drink, and be merry, and let your guard down. Brothers and sisters, when you do that, these are the thoughts that we allow to creep into our hearts, to creep into our minds. And if we're not careful, we give our hearts over to the enemy. Why keep your heart with all diligence? Here's number, number two. How? How do I keep my heart with all diligence? It's important to understand that not only are uh, the, these, the, these, these phrases given for us to understand the, uh, the importance of doing it, but it also shows us how. God doesn't just leave us with all of these commands on things not to do or things of how to guard ourselves, but then not tell us just exactly how to do it. Number one, how do I guard my heart with all diligence? How do I keep it? Number one, it takes diligent study. It takes diligent study. When I think about David writing in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2, he said, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. David also wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. 
the idea of pondering on, of constantly keeping the word of God within us at all times. How do I do that? How do I get to the point to where I am able to guard my heart? I think about what Paul told Timothy, saying Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, be diligent, Paul tells Timothy, to present yourself approved unto God, a workman, that he's not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In the King James, it says the word study. That word in the Greek for the word diligent is the word spadazzo. The idea of, of putting forth the diligent effort, of putting forth the speed and the work that it takes. In other words, Paul tells Timothy, be diligent, put forth the work and the effort in studying the word of Almighty God. Not only must there be study, however, in order to guard and to keep our hearts, but it can't stop there. And we alluded to this just a moment ago. There has to be continual growth on our part, doesn't there? There has to be this idea of continual improvement in our lives if we're going to be faithful to Almighty God and guard our hearts. What does James chapter 1 tell us in beginning of verse 23? He says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. James, what are you describing? You're describing someone who is not guarding their heart. Someone who's not looking after the well-being of their heart. Someone who perhaps is studying, but then they have a rejection of exactly what the scriptures is showing to them. But he continues on in verse 25. He who looks in the perfect law of liberty continues in it. It is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. A flip of the coin in talking about who we're supposed to be. Diligent studiers, yes, but diligent appliers as well. We mentioned these verses last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or in our Wednesday night class. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 2, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, the idea of growing. We're talking about Christians, people who should be growing within their studies of the word of Almighty God, people who should be advancing in their faith, advancing in their knowledge, and yet here they are needing to be prodded and poked by the Apostle Paul because they're not growing. They're still on milk. They're still on baby food. They're not on the solid food because there's no growth or improvement in their lives. They're not spiritually mature because they're not putting into practice the things that they've been studying. And there's great and prominent disappointment by the authors here in these passages. I think about Peter imploring the brethren to whom he was writing. 2 Peter chapter 3, closing out a beautiful section of Scripture by saying, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think you get the picture. Here's the bottom line. It's easy, isn't it, to stay right where you are? It's easy to stay a spiritual infant. Anybody can do that. Anybody can walk in this building and sit in a pew, occupy a space, and walk out. Anybody can do that. But it takes a dedicated Christian to live the life that God has called us to live. Despite it being difficult, we're commanded to grow and to mature. And when we do that, it produces a plethora of things in our lives. Just read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. It showcases the importance of growth. And what it leads to us as Christians. We have to be diligent in our study. Number two, I have to be diligent in my prayer. How can I keep my heart? I have to be diligent in prayer. I'm still amazed. And maybe this is a reflection of the shortcoming in my life as it concerns this. But I'm constantly amazed. that when I think about the idea of prayer, how we're talking about a direct line of communication to our Father, to our Creator, we're talking about a direct line of communication to the one that created us, to the one that sustains us, to the one who can forgive us of our sins. The one who from the very beginning put into, put into practice, put into play the grand scheme of redemption and having the ability and the opportunity to take all of my cares, my worries, my struggles and my heartaches 
and to lay them at his feet. All of these things are simply amazing to think about, and yet what amazes me more is how underused and underutilized prayer is. When we think about the difficult situations in our lives that we constantly find ourselves, the uncertainty that we face, the unknowns, the the changes, the ups and the downs, so many times we go through these situations and what do we do? We get worried, don't we? We get stressed, we get anxious, and yet for so many people, and even sadly for so many Christians, God is the last one to whom they take all of these things in their lives. They go to family, they go to friends, they go to therapists, they go to Google, they go to whatever avenue is out there. I'm not saying that those things are bad. Certainly they can be helpful. But there's a reason why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's a reason why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, beginning of verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at what happens when you do that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. When I have a healthy prayer life, I know that my focus is on heaven. And when I say healthy prayer life, I mean a healthy prayer life. I'm not talking about just saying a prayer before your meal. I'm not talking about just saying a prayer before a sporting event. I'm not talking about just the prayers that we might even say in our assemblies. I mean a healthy prayer life in that when you are in constant communication with God, that you are making a dedicated effort to have a dialogue with the one who created you. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, pray without ceasing. When you and I are in constant prayer, it means that our focus is heavenward. It means that our focus is fixated upon the things that are going to help us get there. Pray constantly with boldness, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. Pray in faith, Mark 11 and verse 24. And as a byproduct of focusing on heaven, then I know that I'm purposefully keeping and guarding my heart. Number three, the last one for this morning. How can I keep my heart with all diligence? I do so with diligent intentions. I do so with diligent intentions. When it it comes to our lives as Christians, we understand this is a lifestyle that is not passive. I've said that many times before. It's a lifestyle that doesn't allow someone to just simply sit on the sidelines. It doesn't allow someone to just simply sit on the outside and to watch and then to still be considered faithful to Almighty God in order for one to be pleasing to the Creator. He or she must be active within their faith and in their Christianity and with that thought in mind in order For me to keep my heart with all diligence, I have to be diligent in my intentions as a Christian. Number one, I be intentional when it comes to guarding my thoughts. You see, our thoughts are what shape our hearts, aren't they? When we talk about the things that we take in, the things that we digest, the things that mold what our hearts are going to look like, and we understand it's all of the things that we think about in our daily lives. Think about David, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, a great king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, and yet someone who at this particular time was not careful about guarding his thoughts. And he sees Bathsheba bathing, and instead of guarding himself, instead of turning his mind around, he allows his thoughts to wander. He allows his thoughts to linger, and then he acts upon them. And he's led down a very dark path in a very dark time. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 gives me a very specific guideline of how to keep my thoughts and how to keep guarding my heart. Finally, brethren, Paul says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's anything, any virtue and anything praiseworthy, 
meditate on these things. When I do this and center my thoughts around these, I'm guarding my heart. Number two, I have to be intentional when it comes to guarding my words. I have to be intentional when it comes to guarding my words. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words are so powerful. Our words are so influential, and so many times we underestimate what we can do with our words. James 3 very clearly depicts for us how important it is to guard our words because he talks about just as easily as it is to do something good, you can turn around and do something just as evil and horrible. James 3 and verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. It's not supposed to be that way. And it won't be that way if we guard our words. Number two, or number three, I have to be intentional when it comes to my relationship with God. Proverbs 3, beginning of verse 5, a verse you know well, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You see, when you and I place our whole and undivided trust in Almighty God, when we make the effort to, to have a, a, a close relationship on our part with Almighty God, that puts us in the best possible position to guard our hearts. When I rely upon him and not on myself because I have the words of Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 ringing in my head, well, Lord, another way of man is not in himself. It's not a man who walks to direct our own steps. When we take ourselves out of the driver's seat in our lives, and we allow God to direct us where we need to go. When we cultivate that close relationship with him, then and only then can we successfully guard our hearts. But then number four, I have to be intentional when it comes to, <clears throat> to my influences around me. I have to be intentional when it comes to my influences. Proverbs 13 and verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. First Corinthians 15 and verse 33, Paul told the Corinthian brethren, do not be deceived, evil companions corrupt good morals. If I want to guard my heart, I have to be very careful about the influence I have in my life. Not only just people, but things like media, things like the world, whatever it might be, I have to be careful about the things with which I surround myself. It is so important, brothers and sisters, that you and I do all that we can to keep our hearts with all diligence. Understanding that our hearts are so very fragile. Our hearts are so very vital. But our heart is also what God has required of us. And if you and I want to be pleasing to God, to be faithful to him, the only way that we can do that is if we truly guard our heart with all diligence. Maybe you're here this morning and perhaps you have a heart that has been softened by the scriptures. Maybe through your own study or perhaps maybe through the study of, your, uh, of some, someone here and maybe you've been working with someone and maybe you've come to the conclusion that it's time for you to put Christ on in baptism. You're ready to keep your heart with all diligence. You're ready to give your heart over to God. And you want to submit to him through baptism. Know that we can certainly help you and assist you. We'd love to help you in that manner. The angels will be rejoicing in heaven. We would be rejoicing with you. You can go on your way rejoicing just like the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. And maybe you're here this, this morning. Perhaps you are a Christian, but maybe you haven't been guarding your heart. Maybe you're someone who's faltered in this and you've allowed your heart to be swayed by the world, to be swayed by the devil, but you understand that because of that, you're in sin. Because of that, you no longer have a relationship with God and you're ready to come back. You're ready to repent of those things. Know that we'll pray for you. We'll forgive you. God will forgive you. And we'll do all that we can to encourage you and help you. If you have a need this morning, won't you come? It's together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262. Or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.